0: Five,
1: six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engines running. Commit. Lift off.
2: Good afternoon and welcome to SWAT Radio. It is Tuesday, May thirtieth. Hard to believe we're almost into June, twenty twenty-three and uh, i hope everybody enjoyed their uh, memorial day your hope you remembered it's just Whoa. that it's yours Whoa, we healthcare. got to ad going you Jeremy. are unique <laughs> We're going into the uh, ad for uh, Christian Care Medishare. Anyway, uh, hey, um, that's how you know it's live, right, Jeremy? We 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 get little glitches like that. You know, this is not a pre-recorded. We are live. This is SWAT Radio. If you're just tuning in, SWAT stands for Spiritual Warriors Advancing Truth. My name is Doug McCary of His Light Ministries, and uh, typically we uh, do Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Uh, To cover expositionally what we've been covering in the SWAT SWAT Bible studies, uh, which we've been working through Acts. And then Thursday we have a guest. And then Friday, uh, usually Brad and David will uh, discuss the applications of that in men's discipleship. But this week we're doing a little bit of switch. Yesterday, like I said, was Memorial Day. I just want to say pray for the family uh, or the three children of uh, my good friend Pat Wheeler. Pat was a pilot in the Marine Corps. He led me to safety when I had my accident and pretty much saved my life. And uh, he was one of my best friends. And uh, I always think of him on Memorial Day. That's what Memorial Day is for. It's not to celebrate those who are serving. It's those who have given their life. And Pat did that. And so remember Pat, Reg Underwood, those are two Harrier guys. And any other people that might have sacrificed for the freedom we enjoy um, but today, during the first half hour, I'm going to have Dr. Heath Lambert. That's a name that you might be familiar with. He is the pastor at First Baptist Church of Jacksonville. He is a uh, was a professor up at um, the Southern Seminary. He has also been the executive director uh, of the, a counseling ministry. Um, called the uh, Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, ACBC, and uh, he has uh, agreed to come on today. He, he's been actually having to go through some health battles with, uh, I think, five different surgeries God has got him through, but Dr. Lambert, welcome to SWAT Radio.
3: It is my pleasure to be here with you. Thank you for having me.
2: Well, I was so excited. I, I've been following your blogs because, uh, one, we've been praying for you. I know you've been kind of going through this health can, uh, health stuff with the, the, the surgeries. Can you give us a quick update on what's going on there for everybody?
3: Yeah, so I've had some nerve trouble uh, with, uh, with, a, with an important nerve in my brain. Uh, that has required five now different brain surgeries to fix. Uh, the most recent one was because after they finally got the problem fixed, I was having some scar tissue that was formed, forming on the nerves to cause pain and spasms. And so they had to open me up again and take that off. Uh, and it has worked. I, I'm not having any more pain. I'm not having any more spasms. Uh, and so the prayer now is that uh, the scar tissue that they took off will stay away.
1: So
2: if you are listening, whether you're listening on WMOX or WMER in Meridian, Mississippi, or on the Lighthouse up in the Virginia Beach, Chesapeake, Virginia, or here on The Truth, both in uh, North Florida or South Georgia, please lift up Dr. Lambert. uh, Pray for his health and recovery. Uh, Pray for his wife, Lauren, and their three children. Just lift them up and continue to pray for them. Uh, One of the reasons I wanted Dr. Lambert on is because he has, he has been a, a warrior in the battle for truth. And we're living in an age where a lot of people are caving in because they're canceled, uh, they're they're fearful. And and first of all, Dr. Lambert, I appreciate you being willing to stand. And I, I asked specifically if you would come on um today because I was I was struck by what you said in your latest blog. You've been doing this thing on the Southern Baptist. Uh, Convention, which is huge now, because it, it appears like people are pushing for the Southern Baptists to cave in the area of ordaining women elders and preachers, and saying that that's okay. We've moved on. We're in a progressive culture now, and you address that in your your most recent blog. And could could you just talk a little bit about? One, uh, how much, how, how concerned should we be about this issue?
3: Okay, so uh, I think we should be very concerned about the issue of female preachers and particularly what the Southern Baptist Convention thinks about it. Not because this is the most important issue there is. It's, uh, I mean, you could believe that a woman is equipped to. Uh, Be a preacher of the gospel and allowed to be a preacher of the gospel in a local church. You could believe that and still trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord. It's not that it's the most important issue. The reason we should be concerned is because it is such a clear issue. So the Bible is unanimous. Every verse in the Bible is unanimous uh, that uh, women are not permitted to the office of preacher. It doesn't say women can't teach. It doesn't say women can't even lead in ways that are appropriate, but when it comes to the gathered saints, uh, the office of preacher is reserved for men. That is an unpopular reality in the Bible, Mm -hmm. uh, but it is a clear reality in the Bible, and the problem with rejecting it is if you learn to reject—if you train yourself to reject truth that is unanimously stated in the Bible— then the Bible really isn't your authority anymore. You are the authority. Culture is the authority. And so this is about whether the Bible is our authority or whether we do whatever we want in the local church.
2: Well, um, you know, Dr. Lambert, do you remember Steve Ferrar?
3: Yes, Uh, I do. Uh Okay,
2: so Steve was a mentor of mine. And I remember Steve being called to a church up in uh, the Midwest because they were about to split over this issue of ordaining women elders. And they asked, they brought him up there because they wanted him to speak to this issue. And he came in there and he said, well, if you ordain women elders, you might as well go ahead and ordain homosexual elders. Because once you once you go outside of God's word in one area, it doesn't matter how small, you're opening up the door for that. And we've seen that in a lot of the, what I would call progressive offshoots of conservative churches out there. And so you know rick warren who has been very influential in um you know with his book 40 days of purpose and the purpose driven life all those uh, those mm-hmm. things he's put out there has played a pretty prominent role recently in this and you addressed that in your blog um how do you deal with the the some of the arguments he's making saying you know what we live you know w- women were used as um, testifiers of the resurrection, you know, and mm-hmm. he goes down that road saying the gifts were poured out on them as well in Acts chapter 2. How, how right. do you address that with people who are arguing, saying, hey, he's right, I see that, and that's true? How do you address those issues?
3: Yes. Yeah, so the argument is that it is the Bible that demands we have to have women preachers, and what what the argument he's advancing is is that hey, because the Great Commission isn't reserved for just men, because in the early church the gift of prophecy, uh, the the Holy Spirit it says was poured out on men and women, and because women were early testifiers of the resurrection, that therefore. Uh, we, we have to say women can be preachers. But what that argument does, and this is very dangerous, and I, I don't have anything to say about, uh, about Pastor Rick. I, you know, I, don't, I don't know him. Uh, but but what, what he's done is he's entered an argument uh, that he's, he's asking us to believe. And so then we have to say, well, before we believe it, we need to think hard about the argument that you're making. Mm-hmm. And what his argument is is actually to divide the Scripture. So what he does is he takes the verses uh, that he mentions and he says, let's take these and then let's take the verses that I'm not mentioning, the verses that disallow women from from being preachers, and let's pretend like those don't exist. Well, that's exactly the wrong way to interpret the Bible. The way we interpret the Bible is we read every verse and we, we, we make sense of all the verses together. That's how we submit to Scripture. And the way to handle this is something that Christians figured out a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're able to say that women are vital contributors to the ministry of the church. Women are vital contributors to the Great Commission. Women are gifted for service in the local church. We believe all of those verses, and then we also believe all the verses that say, but this office of pastor is something that is sectored out in the New Testament for qualified men. Mm -hmm. And so we don't have to pick and choose as we're being asked to do. We could believe both. The church has done that. Uh, for a couple of thousand years, the Southern Baptist Convention has done that for decades and decades, and we can keep doing it now
2: well, you know you know what's confusing oh uh, Dr. Lambert is when you get somebody like uh, a Houston's Second Baptist Church, which is a very large church out there been has been very influential in the state of Texas, and they get an Ann Graham Lotz to come in who's mm-hmm. Billy Graham's daughter and preaches um and this is a congregation with 80 plus thousand members and she quotes a guy who said he was revived and brought back to the Lord by her message. And then she makes the comment that was a man on mother's day with a woman in the pulpit. And they Mm use that almost as an argument to say, see, see we can be used as if it's a value thing instead of a biblical design thing. Right.
3: Yeah, I think sometimes we get two words confused. We we get the word can confused with should. Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of things we can do that we should not do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, my goodness, here's the thing. Uh, I am a pastor in a local church, um, and but I'm a sinful man. Uh, there are all sorts of people who uh, could, uh, could say, Oh my goodness, I'm so thankful for all the things that he's done and all the things that he said. And I would say, well, You know what? I'm thankful for that. Uh, but the Lord's done that in spite of me, not because of me. Uh, so the Lord is, is accustomed to doing things in spite of our sins and in spite of our mistakes, in spite of our errors. I don't know anybody except like the worst male chauvinist pig. Uh, who would say, women can't preach, women can't speak in public, women can't lead. No, I don't know anybody that says that. The question isn't that. The question is, will we be bound by the Word of God? Will we do what God says and embrace that and be happy about it, or are we going to do our own thing?
2: So how how do we as believers who are, like, one, we don't have a connection to Ed Young at Second Baptist, but what he's doing— is influencing the rest of our Christian culture, right? When he does this, all of a sudden people feel emboldened to say you know what in fact one of the comments that one of the people made is, you know it just it doesn't matter whether they're a man or woman that they just have to be faithful to God's word. Well isn't that contradictory? <laughs> if they're if they're getting in the pulpit to preach, isn't that contradictory to what God's word says?
3: Yeah, so I so I think what all of us have to do is we first you know you have to think about uh, uh, your levels of influence and your spheres of impact. All of us have uh, have spheres that we that we impact. My primary area of impact is at my church, and I've got uh, decision making responsibilities and responsibilities to communicate. And so I. Um, Uh, I try to do that faithfully. Uh, The pastor down the street, he's got to make decisions about what he is doing in his church. Uh, And I hope that we can all be on the same page about what biblical faithfulness is. But then sometimes some of us have a responsibility uh, to speak into other areas. Sometimes that's more personally. I'll have pastors... Asked to meet with me or call me and say, "Hey, I'm trying to figure this out. What do you think?" And the Lord there has given me an opportunity uh, to speak into somebody else's faithfulness. Uh, in the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, the convention is just a gathering of churches. Our church has been a significant church in the Southern Baptist Convention, and I feel like uh, it's my responsibility, um, in so far as I can, I'm doing that on these blogs that you're talking about to try to say, "Hey, here's some big issues that our convention is facing." Uh, here is what uh, my understanding of the Scripture is. Uh, I, think, I think I'm representing what the, what the convention's understanding of Scripture is. I don't believe that the convention is going to take a stand where they embrace uh, female pastors. I think that they will reject this. Um, but uh, but I feel like it's my responsibility as a member of the convention, as the pastor of a church in the convention, uh, to explain what's at stake. And and all of your listeners are going to have various circles of influence, various spheres of responsib- responsibility where the Lord will ask them to be faithful in so far as they can.
1: Well,
2: um, that, that, that's a really that's a good word, and I, I wanna I wanna ask you about. A couple other things. One, I, I sent you before the program today. Um, I, I I did send you a um, something put out by Denny Burke, who who put out a resolution or he's drafted a resolution on opposing gender transitions for the Southern Baptist Convention because this is becoming an issue. And um, there there's a lady who has spoken there for the last four years. And her name is Rachel Gilson, and uh, she speaks to the wives, the pastors at the pastors' wives conference. And um, I don't know how familiar you you are with her, if you're aware of, but basically she says you need to meet transgender people where they're at, use their pronouns, uh, uh, affirm them where they are because they are in process; they're not there yet. And I just really struggle with that, Dr. Lambert, because if if you take any other sin, whether it's murder, adultery, you would not go to that person affirming that it's okay that they're the way they are. Right. Am am I off base there?
3: No, I think you're right. So, uh, so I'm I'm not familiar with uh, Rachel's ministry. Uh, I am familiar with Denny Burke and with Andrew Walker, who drafted that resolution. They, those are both very faithful uh, preachers and teachers of the Word. They're brilliant men, very reliable guides for Christians in these weird times. I think their resolution <laughs> is a very good one. And to your point. Um, My goodness, the pronoun thing, I think a lot of Christians are going to regret the counsel they've given to folks over the last couple of years. The idea has been, well, If a boy wants to be called she, if a girl wants to be called he, let's be nice folks about the whole thing and accommodate their pronouns. The problem with that, what it, and and listen, here's the thing. I'll tell you, I want to be a man who is defined by love. I believe God is love. I want to be a man who is defined by love. I don't want to be an angry, nasty person who's (laughs) kicking people and, and spitting on them while they're down. I don't want to be that kind of person. So, so the idea is all of us want to be motivated by love. The question is, okay, we need to figure out how to do that. And the Bible tells us in Ephesians 4.15 that we have to speak the truth in love. So it's two things together. It's not, just, it's not like we can just be nice people and avoid being truthful, or that we could be truthful and be as mean as a snake. We've got we to have both. And the reality is boys are boys and girls are girls. And it would be a lie to call a girl a boy, and it would be a lie to call a boy a girl. And so, so I think we can be kind and compassionate. I think we can sort of meet people mm-hmm. where they are without accommodating their sin in our use of language. I think... I think Christians who are advocating that are going to really, really regret that they actually aren't getting the foothold in people's minds and hearts that they want. They're just helping them believe the lie.
2: Well, one of the questions that she received in a Q&A, this was two years ago, that um, there was a, quote, queer, this person self-identified as queer audience member who complained about being denied ministry opportunities because of her lifestyle. And the mm. reply from Miss Gilson was, unfortunately, her experience is more normal than that we would like it to be. And I can't imagine mm. how you can respond like that <laughs> saying, well, well, why wouldn't you I mean if if somebody was in a pattern of sin and and they acknowledged that, then they they should be denied ministry opportunities until, there, it's not that we have to be 100% pure, but that 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 response is what was troubling to me, it, that it's almost like this uh, a coddling affirming that it's okay, it's a process, and you can be walking in patterns of sin and still be accepted in there without any accountability. That's what it sounds like. And I know it, yeah. you're, you're big in counseling. I know you're the ACBC counseling. I, I don't think that would square with the Bible, <laughs> do you? I mean, I don't think Jesus ever affirmed sin in anybody when they were walking in sin, right?
3: No, yeah, his al- his thing is always go and sin no more. So I'm I'm not I'm not familiar with the interaction that you're talking about. But here's the deal: the reality is uh, the only person that the Lord ever used in ministry that was sin-free is Jesus Christ. All wow. the rest of us have to get used to being vessels that he uses when we are broken and in need of power and redemption. That, mm-hmm. is, that is always true. And yet, uh, those of us who are sinners like myself, we, we have to say that we, we, there is a standard for ministry. You just read the pastoral epistles. You read 1 Timothy 3 you read Titus chapter 1 and there are obligations for holiness for people who would be uh, involved in ministry certainly ministry leadership so so we have to say uh, it's not about homosexuality it's not about LGBTQ it's about holiness there are all sorts of lifestyles that we'd say you know uh, look, you're not ready for ministry. Yeah, you need to demonstrate a pattern of holiness. I think that word you used a minute ago, patterns, mm-hmm. is a big point. Uh, we're looking for patterns. We're looking for high-handed. We're looking for unrepentant sins. Keep all of us out of ministry. Uh, the The requirement for ministry isn't be perfect. Uh, the The requirement for ministry is be repentant, be growing, be mm-hmm. turning from sin. Uh, and without that. Uh, all of us are disqualified. Well, that, for, uh, for minister,
2: that, that's a that's a great word on that to kind of close that off. I want to go back to one question I wanted to ask you about the the women uh, in ministry in the history of the church. Do you know of any periods in church history where that has been normative for women to serve as elders or preachers in the church? In the in so
3: the... I do not. Yeah. I, I do not. Uh, church history is is not my area of expertise, but I've, uh, I've waited in it a little bit, and I think I can say with a fair amount of certainty that there has been no period in church history uh, where women pastoral leadership has been normative. There have been women who've been mightily and faithfully used in ministry in ways that were appropriate. Uh, there have been uh, women uh, who've been used in ministry, who were, who were not being faithful to Scripture. Uh, there, there are examples of, of remarkable women uh, in church history, but, but a normative time in church history where, where women serving as pastors was the order of the day, uh, that does not exist. And not even today. Uh, there are people who do it. Uh, but it's not. If you look at the majority of faithful churches out there, that's not what you see.
2: Yeah, and I, I just wanted you to weigh in on that because I—that's I, what I have found as well. And just speaking of faithful women, uh, one of those faithful women in our generation uh, wrote the foreword to your most recent book, Joni Erickson Tata. Boy, you talk about yes. a woman who has been a faithful minister of the gospel in a way that is biblical. And out there, it's Joni erickson Tata, and she wrote the foreword to your most recent book, The Great Love of God, Encountering God's Heart for a Hostile World. Can you give our listeners just a two-minute elevator speech on what that book is about and how it will help them in their spiritual growth?
3: Yeah, so I appreciate that. Uh, So uh, we talk about the love of God a lot. I suspect that there is nothing we talk about more but understand less than God's love. Uh, for w- one thing, uh, we're told it's unloving to tell the kinds of truth, make mm-hmm. the kinds of truth statements that we've been talking about. But God is a God of love and God is a God of truth. And what I do in the book is I try to explain uh, the nature of God's character as being the great God of love. I try to explain. Uh, what that love looks like in our lived daily experience, and I try to explain how that love changes us. Uh, sort of my theme sentence is: Love defines God's essence and will transform your existence. So I want people. I want to introduce people to the love of God, and I want to show them how it changes them. Uh, I found this, uh, discovered this in a fresh and powerful way through these brain surgeries, reading a lot about God's love, reading the Bible through from cover to cover. And even though I've been in ministry my adult life, even though I've got a couple of theological degrees, I've never been captivated by the love of God as I did during that season. And I wanted to introduce people to God's love. I wanted to see people grow in God's love. And my prayer is that uh, God's love would change the world.
2: Well, I, I think that's a great thing to be sharing with people, because when you look at the divisiveness of our culture right now, Uh, Even within the church, I mean, like you can't have dialogue with people that you have disagreements on. You can't really sit down and talk because we've really become a loveless culture (laughs) in a lot of ways. Yes. Uh, Yes, we have. And so it starts with the love of God. So the name of the book, again, is The Great Love of God Encountering God's Heart for a Hostile World. I saw recently, I don't know if it was today or yesterday, that you quoted A.W. Tozer, who's a, a, I love A.W. Tozer, about, you know, God's going to be as excited about seeing us in heaven as we are about seeing him. I thought that was a great quote.
3: Um, Isn't that great? Yeah.
2: uh, Well, you know, it's something we don't think about. So often, I mean, if you, like me, we, I grew up in a Southern Baptist uh, home. Uh, They taught me the word, but I'll be real honest. Up until I was, I was—I had to have a near fatal accident, Doctor Lambert, and and in the midst of that, I was not making the best choices of my life, and so at that moment of of crisis, I really was wondering, was I really going to be with God? And it was like He wrapped His arms around me and said, "You know what, Doug? It's not about what you do; it's what my son's done. You're my son. Now go live like my child." And yeah, and and that really was kind of solidifying for me about God loves me not because of what I do, but because of Jesus, and it's all because of Jesus. That's right. And so I, I, I highly commend this book, The Great Love of God, Encountering God's heart for a hostile world, and, um, and in fact, when I come back, I'm going to take a short break from the radio uh, to to go do some speaking on the road. But when I come back, I'm going to give away some of those copies because I think that's a great thing to be sharing with people. And um, any last thoughts on the SBC? How we can pray, Doctor Lambert? Before we go to our break here.
3: Yeah, you know the SBC is. Um, At a crucial turning point right now. Uh, We need the Lord to raise up bold new leadership that's going to move us in the direction of faithfulness. Uh, We need to quit all this conflict and infighting. We need to quit debating uh, about all this stuff that was supposed to be settled a long time ago. Uh, We need to stand on the scripture. We need to stand on the good news of Jesus Christ and rededicate ourselves to sharing the gospel with the whole world uh we we We're at a crucial turning point in that I don't think the s b c is going to endorse female pastors this year uh but uh, I also don't think they're going to stop fighting <laughs> this <laughs> yeah. year so we need we need a spirit of love and peace to predominate and we need to move forward and keep our eyes on Jesus and keep the main thing the main thing
2: well that's great, and I really appreciate you being on hey uh one uh request for you listeners out there. Please lift up again uh, Dr. Lambert and his family. Pray for healing, specifically pray there'll be no scar tissue uh, from this most recent surgery. And pray God would give him rest with his family. And if you're looking for a uh, church home in the Jacksonville area, you might want to check out First Baptist Church um, located on Ashley, West Ashley Street. Uh, It's a great church, great teaching, great community down there and dr lambert we'll be praying for you and thank you for giving us a half hour of your tuesday today okay
3: god bless you brother thank you so much all
2: right hey you're listening to swat radio we'll have this broadcast uh put up on our podcast later tonight if you missed it or you want to share it and uh, stay tuned we're going to come back and get back into our review of acts and uh, we'll be right back with more swat radio after the break stay tuned
4: This is Anne Graham Lotz with Daily Light for Daily Living. As the seraph pressed the live coal to Isaiah's lips, the searing pain must have been agonizing. Yet the angel's words in Isaiah 6-7 must have felt like a soothing balm to Isaiah's tortured soul. See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. From that moment on, Isaiah's life was never the same. Praise God. There is hope for ruined sinners like Isaiah, like me like you. Every day I bow in utter humility with a contrite heart that's filled with gratitude for the merciful saving power of God. The level ground at the foot of the cross leaves no room for self-righteousness or critical spirit or pride or self-promotion or hypocrisy. Listen to me. Come with me now to the cross. Thank God for the blood of Jesus that has not lost its power to cleanse us of our sin. All of it. This is Anne Graham-Lotz.
2: Expect some delays because of a crash on I-95 southbound before I-10 westbound near downtown. Also, there's a vehicle on fire on I-95 northbound at the ramp from Pecan Park Road that's closed down the on-ramp on the north side. Mostly cloudy tonight, low 69. Wednesday, more clouds and a chance of storms, high 85. From the Traffic and Weather Center, I'm AJ.
1: Is good news for
2: the captive good news for the shame there is good news for the world who walks away there is good news for the doubter the
1: one religion for welcome back to swat radio everyone david gray in here at Yay, for the David's second <laughs> half of the program <laughs> halftime adjustment <laughs> And uh, glad to be with you on SWAT radio. and glad to be with Doug. Uh, Give us a call at 844-777-7928 if you have any comments or questions on Doug's conversation during the first half of the program. And we are going to jump back into our summary (laughs) review of that.
2: I I call it a a flyover. It's really not. It's a flyover, kind of a finishing flyover to say, hey, this is kind of the one last summary of it um but it's a brief summary as we kind of because we're literally popping through about uh five to six chapters uh, a day while you're popping mm -hmm. popping through what you covered in two years (laughs) in about a week and a half yeah we're just kind of hitting the highlights but i'm glad you're here today
1: i wanted to console you about the celtics loss (laughs) i know that was painful to watch it was painful it was ugly yeah ugly and painful and uh but hey i used to get a lot more upset about those things than i do in my old age here so
2: (laughs) well hey uh we are kind of like david said doing a brief flyover of acts we're in acts 16 we're going to try to get 16 17 18 19 20 21 maybe today and uh, see if we can do that in the remaining part of the program but just real quick if you remember acts was written to theopolis acts um like luke was not written to you and me It was written for you and me, but it was written to Theopolis. Mm. And, And Luke was writing to share with Theopolis the story of how the Holy Spirit continued to work through the apostles first and then teachers, elders that would then replace those apostles. The apostles were the bridge from Jesus to the church that the church was born in acts 2 and we've been covering we've worked through acts 1 through 15 in acts 15 they dealt with the gentiles that were coming in they had the you know what do we do do we circumcise them do we not and they said no if they will just follow these things and they gave them four things to really work on and that was more of about a witness or you know to jewish people uh and and not to participate in eating strangle food or uh, drinking the blood, or uh, sacrificing to idols, and sexual immorality. Stay away from that, because it's going to hurt your witness. Well, in Acts 16, um, what we see is, and if you remember, um, this is Paul and Silas this time. Because remember at at the end of Acts 15, we saw Paul and Barnabas separate. They had a disagreement about, yes, Christians can disagree, and yes, they can have a disagreement without it, even necessarily being sinful. Mm. One may have a strong philosophical uh, disagreement about it, and God may use that to part two powerful people, Barnabas and Paul, and then create two separate teams. Right. And that's what he did. And so in Acts chapter 16, what we see is really Paul and Silas now going, and, and when Paul left, by the way, Jerusalem, he left alone. He picked up, he you know, he, he picks up Silas and he, he goes and as he's going on the route, he also picks up Timothy. Remember, and he he sees Timothy, and we know from the, the first letter he wrote to Timothy, he calls Timothy my true child. And apparently it appears that Paul led Timothy's mother and grandmother to Jesus. Uh, Timothy had a godly mother and a godly grandmother, but Uh, eunice married a pagan and she had this son named timothy and timo means to honor theos means god God, so she named her son to honor god raised him in the faith taught him the scriptures even though his father was a pagan and we see one big characteristic of god's kingdom priest that we i think david sometimes we forget that we need to identify and invest in faithful future leaders. Mm-hmm. Paul saw that in Timothy. Mm-hmm. And Timothy ended up being one of well, he was his primary go-to. He became the leader of the church at Ephesus. He he wrote him the the pastoral epistle 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And so and what about Timothy do we see? He he has a good reputation, he was teachable, and Paul invested in him. And so we saw that in Acts 16. Um, we also saw in Acts sixteen that as Paul had this Macedonian call, as Paul wanted to go one place, Holy Spirit said no. He ends up going to Troas, picking up Luke, who writes this whole letter, and 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 he has this epiphany—not an epiphany. That's not the right word. He has a vision. vision. It's mm-hmm. a vision of <clears throat> of a man in Macedonia crying out for help. Now. For us today, we don't get this culturally, but it would be like somebody from Harvard or MIT crying out to Billy Graham, this country bumpkin preacher, saying, hey, can you help me? Now, most guys who are at MIT are pretty self-sufficient, right? Pretty self-reliant. They're pretty bright. But Paul had this vision of a guy over in Macedonia crying out. And here's the thing, a believer with a Bible Bible, and the knowledge of Jesus can help the world. We need to remember that. Mm. And that's really what what we see there. You know, we know where we came from, we know who we are, we know why we're broken and injured and what's the solution and we can introduce people. Doesn't matter if it's the president, doesn't matter if it's an MIT grad, don't be intimidated by people of the world if you love love Jesus and you know Jesus because we have it. Jesus says in Matthew 7, everyone who he hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And sometimes we get intimidated by the people in the world, don't we, David? Yeah,
1: and you know, you think about what Paul wrote in in Corinthians and he probably wrote it in other places too. Remember that God chose the quote foolish things of the world to shame the wise, mm-hmm. right? That that God has revealed truth to his people mm. and to the wise, the wise and the by the world standards and world's eyes, it can seem foolish. Yeah. God came and died for the sins of his people and rose again from the dead. And, you know, that that seems foolish unless God opens people's eyes. But God is not a discriminator. We know that. And we know that people if somebody's got, you know, a Ph.D., or they dropped out of school in the 6th grade. Everybody's in the same boat in terms of what they need. They need the truth. They need to hear the truth. And then as we've said so many times, it's up to the up to God's spirit to reveal that truth to someone as as uh, in terms of being true.
2: <laughs> yeah, and you know? and Paul Paul here then goes and follows the vision that God gave him to Macedonia to Philippi. Who does he meet? Not a bunch of men to disciple, but Lydia. Lydia. He goes there. He sees Lydia, and he he leads Lydia to Christ. They baptize them, and here here he is in this. You know, Philippi was a classical Greek culture, and and by the way, the Greek culture ended up in ruins because it collapsed because of their own corruption. Sound familiar? Mm. <laughs> when man rejects Yahweh, culture is going to lap. Uh, collapse and so in six uh, in in um, what you're going to see is in that Paul and Silas convert Lydia and then they meet this demonic priestess. They they show that Jesus is over false religion. Paul casts the woman uh, the demon out of the woman. They get thrown in jail. There's an earthquake. Paul doesn't flee. He leads the jailer to Christ, showing he's he's got you know over government. So Jesus is over false religion. He's over government. He's over wealth, by the way, because Lydia was a wealthy woman. Jesus is over all. And and so you see Paul turning this world upside down, right? That's what it was saying about them, about their ministry in Philippi. They turned the world upside down. And so as they continue on through 16 now, they end up going out of prison these guys realize. Wait a minute! He's a Roman citizen. We we beat him. We got to let him go. He goes by Lydia's house, and by the way, he says, "Hey, don't forget what you did to me." And he he leads the guys by there. And then we see Acts 17. What does he do? He goes into Thessalonica, and and Berea, and Athens. That's the three places he goes in Acts 17. Three different places in Thessalonica. He has to dialogue with them he has to lead them over and and win them they're they're, you know he has to convince them but when he goes to Berea what happened oh by the way when he goes to Thessalonica uh, people come there and they stir up trouble then he goes to um, down to Berea there they look at what the word says and they go he's right Mm. and and so he he disciples them He then goes to Athens by himself. He leaves Silas and Timothy in Berea discipling people, and he goes on to Athens, and he waits for them. He's letting them do the work there, and he goes into Athens, and when he gets there, it says his spirit was provoked. Why? He looked around at all the idols, and we see there one of the best messages to people that are pagans because he just starts with creation, but what he says is, hey, you guys have an unknown God. Let me tell you about that God. He he does find a point of identity there, and he starts speaking to them and teaching them. And it was really, really an effective message. And again, it says some believed, some didn't. And we just see Paul continuing to have an impact on this second missionary journey. And um, I know we're going to go to a break, and we're going to go into 18 when we come back and try to get 18, 19, 21 maybe.
1: Well, just back to your point about not being intimidated. Look at who this these just these two chapters Paul goes from a wealthy businesswoman to a to a representative of the Roman government to Athens. Right? <laughs> yeah. So these are all people of influence. Everyone and people of different you know levels of if you will of education and society and he was the same with all of them
2: well yeah he did and so if you want to have an impact like paul you got to see the world with divine eyes not human eyes and you got to engage the world with a divine message right
1: we're going to take our last break here on swat radio uh glad you're with us give us a call at 844-777-7928 with a comment or question and we will be right back to continue on in our flyover of acts (laughs)
0: You are invited to participate in a broadcast ministry of First Conservative Baptist Church with Dr. Jean A. Youngblood and Let's Face the Issues. This program allows you, the listener, to call in and ask your questions about current issues, Dr. Youngblood deals with moral, ethical, and political issues that face our culture and the church. Tune in every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. on 91.7 for expository preaching by Dr. Jean A. Youngblood. Dr. Youngblood is the pastor-founder of First Conservative Baptist Church and the founder-president of Conservative Theological University. Let's Face the Issues can be heard daily on 91.7, 91.3, and 91.9. At 11:30 a.m., don't miss these relevant broadcasts. Invite others to tune in also. Remembering Sacrifice. This is Ken Ham, CEO of the Noah's Ark Attraction, the Ark Encounter, south of Cincinnati. It's Memorial Day here in the United States, and on this national holiday, we respectfully remember the costly sacrifice that so many have made for our country. Now, I believe the reason we're so drawn to respecting sacrifice is because we were made to worship the one who made the ultimate sacrifice. You see, our ultimate problem is the sin that separates us from God. But God gave His Son, Jesus, to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins so all who trust in Christ can receive eternal life and have their biggest problems solved. So, as we remember these brave service members today, let us also remember Jesus Christ and tell others about Him.
4: Learn more about the Apologetics Ministry of Answers in Genesis when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com and subscribe for free email insights from Ken Ham at AnswersRadio.com.
0: The Florida Georgia Truth Network, Palm Coast Listens at
5: 91.9. There I was on death row, guilty in the first degree.
4: my destiny
1: welcome back to swat radio everyone david gray and doug mccary here with you uh continuing in our uh, as doug put it flyover of the book of acts where we completed the study uh about a week or so ago and uh where doug is uh doing a a, a closing flyover of the uh chapters in acts and we are getting up here toward uh chapter 18 18,
2: yeah and you know here's the thing Paul just continues on this second uh, uh, the second missionary journey and uh, in Acts 18 and and by the way we have a caller and we're going to get to you in just a second in Acts 18 Paul goes into Corinth now Corinth the best description of Corinth is arrogant and immoral that it was so bad Mm -hmm. that they had a term to Corinthianize which means somebody was uh, practicing immorality. Mm-hmm. That's how how bad it was. It was a tough place. Paul was already discouraged. He writes to the Corinthians that in 1 Corinthians 2. They had about 250,000 free men there, about 400,000 slaves. There were 12 temples, no standards. Think Romans chapter 1, right? And what God does is he brings divine appointments. Mm-hmm. He found Aquila and Priscilla, right? And he... He he's here in this place, this terrible place. He was a tent maker, and he didn't want to be a, a a burden to anybody. But it says he was encouraged from Timothy's report about how God's word was doing. You know what was happening in Thessalonians and and or with the Thessalonians and the support from Philippi, and Paul was just. Doing what Paul does, he was there in this terrible place, but he was being a witness, even though he was discouraged. And sometimes the enemy will try to discourage us with attacks, but Paul just keeps pressing on. And, you know, Paul goes into the synagogues like he always does, but it turns out in this place they rejected him there, but there was a worshiper uh, and and there named Titius Justice and Crispus the ruler of the synagogue and his family become Christians.
1: Yeah, I love that. So
2: it, it was great. So he goes in and they reject him in the synagogue, but not everyone. The leader comes, and that's huge,
1: right? And so, Paul and so did, justice's house, Titius Justice, his house was right next to the synagogue, right? Yes. Yeah. So that a little bit, a little bit of uh, godly humor there as well. <laughs> it, it I really, think. Yeah. It,
2: it was great. Yeah. And so. Anyway, so so what happens, Paul then, after his time in Corinth, returns back to Antioch. And what does he do? He goes back to Antioch to give a report. And um, and so um, the only other thing really in Acts 18, after he goes back to give the report, is that he, um, there was, you know, Apollos, who had had to be kind of helped along by Priscilla and Aquila, uh, goes to Ephesus and he was instructing, but you see his teachability because he wasn't teaching everything the right way. And even though he was eloquent, Priscilla and Aquila took him aside. Mm. And we should always be teachable. Doesn't yeah. matter how old we are, how many years we've been preaching. Well, you right?
1: mentioned that about a, as a quality a few minutes ago of Timothy. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think about that from an athletic standpoint, the athletic analogy. As a coach, if you were coaching, would you rather have someone with great talent who you couldn't tell anything to, or would you rather have somebody maybe a little less talented but eminently coachable? Teachable. Absolutely teachable. You teachable. Have the and, and by the way, I know we have a call in chapter 18. That's also where Galio throws out Paul's case that the Jews bring against yeah. him, and that's <laughs> one of the first times in the last third of Acts right, that the, Jew, that the Romans— kind of save him god uses the romans god that you're right that was a great point about that chapter is that god
2: uses Gallio to not only save paul but legitimize the christian promote christianity absolutely so anyway we got a call jeff welcome to swat radio
5: good afternoon um i'll be kind of brief because i know you're pressed for time but i was listening to you earlier with uh pastor lambert and talking about uh the sinful side of just going along with someone who wants to be called by a different gender than their birth birth gender. Yeah. And I, it got me to thinking, and I agree with everything y'all said, but how, compare with me also, for me, uh, giving money to somebody who's on the corner, who's a healthy person, who quite frankly doesn't have the appearance of anybody who just is lazy and doesn't want to work, money, when we're told by Scripture, you know, if you won't work, you should need. Just... You know, if you can kind of, you know, I have an issue with that. So I mean, if you, give me some more words
2: of wisdom here. Well, you know, I, I appreciate that question, Jeff. Uh, one, when I used to go to Russia, and I would walk through Red Square, there would literally be hundreds of babushkas, which is the grandmothers, the older ladies, with their hands out. You couldn't possibly give them all money, mm-hmm. right? They they were poor. They were out there begging. Um, and I, w- I was troubled by that cause I didn't know what to do. I like, I do, I give it to this person or that one. And one of my mentors said, you know what, what I do, Doug, he said, I pray. And I pray God would direct me to the ones he wants me to help. Mm-hmm. And we sometimes dismiss that power of the spirit to move us, to lead us in that moment. And, and so when I pull up to a street corner or I, you know, I'm, I see somebody there, the first thing I try to stop and do now is pray. Lord, is this somebody that you want me to help? I don't just hand them money. I always try to engage in conversation with them first to talk to them. And sometimes, Jeff, I'll give them money. Sometimes I'll ask them, do they want me to give them a ride somewhere or could, would they like me to go buy them some food um, and then to talk to them? But I think, in every case, our hearts should be compassionate toward anybody who's out there. We don't know what their story is. We don't know if they've been a, a, a PTSD veteran. We don't know if they've been abused. We don't know what their background is. We don't know. They may be trying to take advantage of you. Maybe mm-hmm. they're con men. They could be any of those. Yeah. So, so we have to well, p- pray, you know. Well, what you
5: say is pretty much the way I approach it. So, I, I mean, you and I are on the same, same page in that respect. I, I, some people I do, some people I don't. But I would also approach the, the – the, 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 I approach people who are homosexuals. I've never had anybody who is a trans-type person want me to call them by different pronoun. But I would do that with their case, too. I might even say to them, well, if you want me to call you he or him, I'll do that. But give me 15 minutes to have a, and, and let's have a little talk. And if they'll allow me to witness to them for 15 minutes, I probably would go along just to get the word of uh, gospel to them. And so that's not probably how I would approach that. Well, well be, listen, the only,
2: well, Jeff, the only disagreement I would have with that, in that case, you are specifically affirming a lie to somebody, okay? But, and, and and that's where I would draw a line with the, with the transgenders because it, to affirm a delusion to affirm a lie is not loving ever, and 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 God. No, I, I agree and, with you. And but, and so, I, I would explain to them why I can't do that, and 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 just say because you know rather than to do what they want in order to gain a hearing, this is what that lady said at the Southern Baptist it. Convention. See, that's pragmatic. God is sovereign, right and and, and there's a difference between handing somebody some money or some food and affirming a lie to them. You know, that's why I'm saying when somebody, if somebody says, hey, I'm a girl when I'm a guy, that's to to affirm that their pronoun is saying they're something they're not is a lie. And Heath said, Dr. Oh, Lambert said that,
5: you know? So. Yeah, I, that makes sense. I appreciate it. Thanks for your time.
1: Okay, um, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks right, for listening.
2: Take,
1: take, yeah. Yeah, it's a good question yeah, and great. uh it's, I and then the part about handing somebody money or food, I, I when in doubt, I mean, and I'm not saying I I do this every time. Sometimes I just bypass, I suppose, but for me it's always when in doubt, I'm probably tend toward giving them something and then think to myself, well, if he is conning me, that's between him and God. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so well,
2: um you know, David, I, I don't think we're going to get through 20, but I do want to hit Acts 19 real quick. In Acts 19, Paul goes into Ephesus, and remember the seven sons of Sceva? And by the way, um, Ephesus was one of the four great cities. It was Rome, Corinth, Alexandria, and Ephesus. It connected the Western Roman Empire with the Asian provinces. Very important. And, and we see Paul's third missionary journey where he comes here and he stays here for three years, right? And his third journey is very important. We're going to really get into it tomorrow. Um, and we see Apollos is the first apostolic preacher. And Paul's ministry is winding down. We see new people coming into the kingdom. And it, we really see in this chapter there's two types of faith in the world, faith in Jesus and faith in anything else. Uh, and that's, that's what we saw. And uh, Paul is there. The seven sons of Sceva try to imitate him. They have. There's two messages. There's Jesus' way, which is the word of the Lord, or there's man's way. Paul always sets up a choice. And there's two sources of power, God and Satan. That's mm-hmm. pretty much it, yeah. right? And so chapter 19 finishes with this great, where Paul basically uh, shows the difference between true faith in Christ and and demonic power, and that's really what we see there in Ephesus. And and Paul continues on this journey. He's going to spend three years there. So tomorrow we're going to pick back up there and 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 see what else is going on with Paul. And then we're going to see Paul get
1: arrested. So thanks Brad,
2: for joining today. David. Yeah,
1: and Brad will be back tomorrow with Doug. I'll be here. Doug will have a Brad will have a guest on Thursday, and yeah. I'll be back with Brad on Friday. Hope you'll listen in, and we'll see you back here on SWAT Radio.